This podcast is brought to you by the new book, The Heart of the Cross, by Dr. James Boyce and Dr. Philip Riken. Available now in a beautiful hardcover gift edition from PNR Publishing. Visit prpbooks.com and hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I'm a professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. Normally, I'd be here with my co-host, Todd Pruitt, but Todd, as a faithful working pastor, has found himself uh, called away at the last minute to deal with a pastoral issue within his congregation. So I am flying solo today, but not totally solo. I'm going to be the interviewer, but we happen to have a special guest. Uh, I first met this gentleman, I think it was in 1988, in the tiny Derbyshire village of Stanton Lees, where the minister at the time, the Reverend Holland, had an annual Bible conference where he would get a faithful expositor to come in and do a series of sermons on a particular Bible passage or a particular theme. And uh, a friend and I went and we camped in the field uh, by the chapel uh, and went and listened to to this gentleman preach uh, over a series of nights and both became, if it's appropriate to say that you're a fan of a minister, both <laughs> became fans of this minister at the time. The man I'm about to interview has an influence in the Ukraine at this point because my friend at the time was uh, inspired in part to go into the ministry because of this man's faithful ministry. He is one of the funniest people I know. I get his weekly uh, newsletter, which reads like, for those of you who are old enough to remember the magazine Punch, it reads like the diary column from Punch. Uh, He's an amusing man. He has that great gift of not taking himself too seriously. And yet he has had a huge impact. Uh, There are numerous, uh, many people who look to this man, humanly speaking, for, for their souls and indeed for their calling to the ministry. We can forgive him the fact that he gave the world Derek Thomas. But <laughs> other than Derek, I think this man has been a great force for good. He is, of course, the Reverend Jeffrey Thomas, who was minister of Alfred Place Baptist Church in Aberystwyth for over 50 years, I think. A stalwart at the Banner of Truth, a friend to many, a mentor to many. And speaking very personally here, I would say... Uh, the paradigmatic, faithful, local church pastor who demonstrated by precept and example that you don't have to be a glamorous fireworks and dry ice person to have a huge impact. Just the simple means of grace will work. So, Jeff, tremendous pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. It's an honor. 
We know it's an honor for you, Jeff. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, I want to ask you my favorite Jeff Thomas story, because I heard you tell this 10 years ago at Westminster the Theological Seminary when I had the, the honor, I think, of giving both you and Dr. J.I. Packer uh, honorary doctorates at the same graduation. Uh, can you tell us what, it's, what is it like to crash your father-in-law's car <laughs> into a car being driven by Dr. J.I. Packer? <laughs> oh, yes. We were going up this narrow lane to visit a very famous church where there was a painting of a lady in a traditional Welsh costume. And uh, a soap company had given free pictures for everyone who could send in 10 soap wrappers. And uh, so every house, in many houses in Wales have this picture up, um, Salem. And so we went to see it and it was a narrow lane and coming towards us, there was a car. And so I pulled in on the left in a lay-by in my father-in-law's car, 1963, and this car came very slowly past me and scratched the side of my car. And it was not my car <laughs> on top of that. So I got out then and uh, um, walked towards him and he got out and I recognized him straight away, J.I. Parker. So um, he said, him, I'm very sorry. I've only learned to drive six weeks ago. And I said, oh, that, that, that's fine. You're Dr. Parker, aren't you? Oh, do I know you? Well, I'm a student at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And uh, yes, and I've heard you and read. Well, of course, Fundamentalism and the Word of God was the first Christian book I read when I was in school. And that gave me the Bible. I have an enormous debt to uh, Jim Packer. And he apologized. I said, oh, think nothing of it. I was so pleased. I was longing for a meeting in which I would be the chairman and I would introduce him and tell everyone this story. And Packer wouldn't let me get away with it. He has such wit. He would turn it back on me, I am sure. But that never happened. But um, that is how Packer and I bumped into one another. <laughs> that is a great story. And and one of the things that, I mean, the way you tell that story, Jeff, I, I think there's something there to learn from in that, I, I mean, you and I are well aware of the, the history of J.I. Packer and English, British evangelicalism through the 60s, 70s and 80s. Uh, yeah. And you would have been on a very different side to Dr. Packer on some very significant debates at that point. And yeah. yet you speak of him with such affection and such gratitude because he was the man who, humanly speaking, gave you the Bible. That yeah. is, that's a wonderful yeah. thing to hear, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there we are. Um, yeah, he's had enough critics. And, uh, oh, boy, yeah. God has hidden my sins from many people. And so I'm, <laughs> I hope it'll go on like that. <laughs> so tell us, Jeff, how did you first, how do you first feel the call to the ministry? You've had this remarkable 50-year ministry. You were relatively young when you went into the ministry. How yeah. do you feel, how, how did you first come to be called to the ministry? Well, I was converted really much through the influence of my mother. My mother was saved uh, um, about 1920 through a man converted in the 1904 revival, Uncle Oliver. 
And, uh, you know, she, she sang hymns all day as she did her chores, as she vacuumed the floor and, and cooked and cleaned. And my friend Brian said to me when we were 15 years of age, your mother's remarkable, isn't she? And I said, yes. He said, the way she sings hymns all day. And I thought, his mother doesn't sing hymns. I thought every mother, they, they sang hymns because mom did that. And I went to church with her. And when in 1954, when I was about 15 years of age, I came under a, a measure of conviction um, and longing. And I would walk to church on a Sunday night uh, in a little Baptist church, which no longer stands. And I would think, I wonder, will tonight God speak to me? And so it was, um, I went along and one night I was given assurance in the preaching that Jesus Christ was my Lord, was God and my Savior. And uh, yeah, in the congregation was asked all to stand. And if anyone had received Christ as their Lord and Savior to remain seated, and I remained seated. And um, the preacher came up the aisle and shook me by the hand and said, God bless you, Jeff. And a few weeks later, I was baptized. And a few weeks later, I came to the Lord's Supper and became a church member. And that, that was the start of it, the reality of Christ. And then um, meeting other men my age, going to camp, and then borrowing holiness by J.C. Ryle from the uh, local library, and then buying volume one of uh, studies in the Sermon on the Mount by Dr. Lloyd-Jones. And the beauty of, of the life he described, a righteous life. I wanted to live like that. And, oh, I thought it would be wonderful to preach like that to men and women. And so I went on to Cardiff University and did biblical studies and uh, then I thought, well, I'd become an, an R.I. teacher. It's a, a big thing to say, Carl, that you're going to be a preacher. You know, you, you, when you're um, 20 years of age, it's a, a big step to make. And my father's twin brother was a preacher and his sister married a preacher. And his brother was a preacher, too. So I had three uncles who were preachers, but they were all congregational, liberal men and not um, not the most attractive or dynamic of people. And so then um, I saw the books in the InterVarsity were publishing in those days by Stonehouse and Edward J. Young's introduction to the Old Testament and by um, John Murray's um, Principles of Conduct and, and later Redemption Accomplished and Applied. And, uh, oh, that, that just gave me a backbone and um, intellectually so satisfying and yet moving the religious affections also very much in their theocentricity. Then reading the Expository Times for a project, I found an advert for Westminster Seminary and I found the address and so I wrote to them and wondering about going there. And Paul Woolley wrote back to me very, very quickly. What a wonderful correspondent he was. And he was your predecessor. You took 
His name, of course, as the uh, professor of church history, the Paul Woolley Chair. So they, they gave me a scholarship. And in 1961, I went for three years to, to Philadelphia and studied under, under those great men and uh, received an incomparable education and returned home in in 64, married the girl back home. And during those years then, had a growing, a growing assurance that I should be a pastor. And um, I talked to Ed Clowney. You'd go to Ed Clowney for personal help and counsel. He, he had a wonderful gift. He was the most transparently godly individual. And he said, uh, if, if you were staying in uh, America, I'd, I, I'd want you to come into our church and I'd want you to be a pastor. And I think you should become a pastor. And his words were again a confirmation to me. And I never doubted after that, that for the rest of my days, I should uh, preach the word like I'd heard Lloyd-Jones preach and read as he preached and as I uh, met in the Calvinistic Methodists of Wales and met in, in Mariano de Gangi in 10th Presbyterian Church, yeah. men of, of, of great integrity and kindness. And uh, so um, there we are. I, I came home and got married. And the following year, Aberystwyth called me to be its pastor. And that was where you pastored for the rest of your full-time yeah. pastoring career? Yeah. That's nobody else, nobody yeah. else wanted me, Carl. So I never <laughs> had a serious call anywhere else. And so I stayed. My three daughters loved the town. My wife has an only sister. She was in the town. Her husband was my best friend. There were many human factors. And it was a significant like uh, the early New England universities, like Yale and uh, Princeton and Harvard, uh, it had uh, a Roman Catholic seminary, it had a Presbyterian seminary, it once had, had a Baptist seminary as well. It was, in the end, 47 men who went into the ministry, who had sat at my feet at some time in... So I had my little seminary there, didn't I? Yeah, and that's almost, you're almost striking one a year at that point. That's, yep. that's uh, remarkable, yeah. quite remarkable. <laughs> now, you mentioned, uh, as you mentioned, the great founding faculty of Westminster Seminary. There, You also mentioned another great man who's had a huge impact upon your life and ministry. I was not converted until some years after his death, but his work, particularly, you mentioned it, the... Uh, uh, the studies in the Sermon on the Mount, and and I found his his writings on the Puritans were the first thing that really introduced me to the Puritans. Oh right, that was right. Martin Lloyd Jones. Uh, yes, tell yes. us about tell us about Martin. He's been gone now over forty years, but yeah. tell us about Martin Lloyd Jones. What was he like <laughs> as a guy? Yeah, and you quantify his impact upon you. <laughs> I, I I was in a camp when I was in school. I was about seventeen. And I would hang around the officers who were mainly students or young teachers. And one night they were talking about this man they called the doctor. And they had such enormous respect. It, it really impacted me. I, I, 
I ought to know more about this guy. Um, and so I saw um, an advertisement um, in the Saturday night uh, Western Mail that announced who was preaching on Sunday in the churches of South Wales. And during the week, it said Martin L. Jones was going to be preaching at Ivan Evans's induction service at Memorial Hall in Cardiff. And so I got the train in from Barry to Cardiff and I walked down the Cathedral Road there and went into this uh, building and uh, every seat was taken. The men had suits. The women wore hats. We sang Top Lady and Watts. And uh, there was this little man, short man in the pulpit with white hair. And then he preached. And it was different from what I'd ever heard before. Uh, and the, the ethos of seriousness and joy that was there was um, enormously impressive. And I, I needed to find out more about him. And then every year he would come to different churches and I heard the great sermons on But God and Felix trembled and the building was shaken in which they were assembled. And I found his preaching to be what I thought was and still think it is preaching with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. Mm. And um, his ministry then was sober. You know, people interrupted. Uh, they would say, Amen. I remember he was preaching in Merthyr. And he began, as he usually did, and this is the most important part of scripture we could look at today. Amen a man said in the gallery, and the doctor glanced at him. And we could uh, spend well our time at, at uh, an epoch of the country in which we're in today, considering this passage. Amen, he said again. And then the doctor went on, and the man said, Amen. And so the doctor stopped then and looked at him and faced him and said to him, My friend, the gospel is to be applied, not applauded. Amen, the man said, and shut up. And the doctor said when he could get the Baptist deacons to listen to what he was saying and not to parrot amen, then he felt he had succeeded with him. He was an exponent. He was an evangelist. Then um, when he retired from Westminster Chapel, he wrote a letter, and I was given a copy a few days later, and he spoke about his future, what he wanted. He would like to lecture um, about preaching. And immediately I sent a letter to Ed Clowney, the, the president at Westminster Seminary, and I said, Lloyd-Jones wants to lecture. Get in touch with him straight away. Invite <laughs> him to Westminster Seminary. And you know that he did that very thing, and his Great book, Preaching and Preachers, that, um, that, that has been a, a blessing and a help to so many people since that, that time. I loved him. I loved his. He treated me as an equal. He treated me as a Welsh preacher, the father of a family. And um, he was intimate in talking about people and his own struggles and his own encouragements. Um, I never felt 
terribly intimidated by him. You know, as our time now draws to a close, I wonder, you now retired, you are still, I gather from your weekly emails, preaching, and, you know, retirement means something different to you than I hope it means for me when I retire. <laughs> but uh, we live in times where things are changing rapidly. I think it's hard not to see the times that are coming as it's very dark. I, I, without being nostalgic about the past, there have always been dark times. My own father grew up during the Birmingham Blitz. It was pretty, they were pretty dark times, but we are facing dark times at the moment. What three pieces of advice or three priorities would you give to, to young men who are going into the ministry today? What are the three things that they should, they should take to heart and be careful to cultivate or, or guard themselves against even? What, what are the three things? Yes, yes. Well, the first thing would be to get into a routine of a, a, a personal communion and stirring up the graces of the relationship of you and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Ephesians 5 is all about the, the Christian life putting off and putting on, putting off the old patterns that you've had so far that your companions and maybe even your family have had, and putting them off and then putting on the new man, the Christ-likeness, the mortifying of pride and self-pity and the plaintive note that comes in and, and weakens the courageous, joyful testimony of a man who personally is assured that Christ lives and in his Savior. And the first thing is um, to get into a routine, like you brush your teeth every day, so you, you talk to the Savior every day. And my wife and I now, we begin each day and uh, we, we read a section from Table Talk, and then we, we pray together every day and um, Spurgeon said, in expounding, praying always, he said, in other words, pray often and pray briefly. Um, and then the second thing would, would be then to have as many fine role models as you can. It's a great danger in in having one, say it was just for me, Lloyd-Jones, it would have been disastrous if I hadn't also known um, young Presbyterian Calvinistic Methodist pastors in Wales, and if I, I didn't have Donald MacLeod and Douglas Macmillan and Ian D. Campbell amongst the Scotsmen that I owe so much to. Nowadays, you have such access to um, a, a world of preaching, of preachers, many of whom have now passed away. And um, you can learn, and you must learn, um, because it's much easier to justify bad habits yourself, because... Um, that might be the very bad habit that the one man you greatly admire like and you need compensating um, attitudes and balances to that. So that would be the, the, the second thing. And then 
Thirdly, I would recommend that you did a Lloyd-Jones every Sunday morning and you did a Spurgeon every Sunday night. In other words, you did systematic expository evangelistic preaching um, in the mornings in your ministry when most of the, the, the people are there. And even now, unbelievers seem more to be coming to the mornings. I've added evangelistic. And um, I, I would think um, that systematic exposition is, is very satisfying. And then in the evening, the big texts of the Bible, the big texts, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and, and there is there is none else. He was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. You know, the, the great texts with the great themes uh, and uh, freely offering the gospel. So much of preaching stops with exegesis with exposition, and it, it needs much more than that. It needs the application of a man who longs for you to be saved. And you'll get that in Lloyd-Jones in uh, the systematic way, but you'll get it in Spurgeon then, in the most wonderful uh, opening up of verses in Isaiah and in the Psalms, um, and in the Gospels that um, are the very heartbeat of the love of God and his desire and his free offer of Jesus Christ. I, I love the phrase free offer. That's wonderful, Jeff. And what our listeners have just heard is, I think, something of that passion and commitment and biblical grounding that has made your faithful ministry so powerful from a small corner in Wales to all four corners of the world. And just want to say thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, to our listeners, Jeff has actually, if you want more Jeff Thomas, and who doesn't want more Jeff Thomas? Jeff has uh, just finished and is in, it's about to be published uh, an autobiography in the shadow of the rock, uh, which I was privileged to read in manuscript form. Uh, and uh, it, Funnily enough, it arrived on my in inbox the very day that J.I. Packer, I think, sadly died. Uh, and it was funny reading, well, not funny, but it was strange reading about the death of J.I. Packer and about the passing of Jeff Thomas from full-time ministry. It's a wonderful book. Uh, Jeff did tell me one of the other readers said there was too much of him in it. Well, as I responded, I think at the time, Jeff, our autobiographies tend to be about the person who's writing them. <laughs> I don't want to buy your autobiography to read about other people. Strongly commend it to our listeners. Uh, if you go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can enter for a chance to win a copy of that. If you don't do so, then I would urge you to buy it. It is a moving and passionate memoir of a life well-lived and a ministry faithfully executed. Jeff, it only remains me to say you say have many role models. I would say two of the the great role models that I've looked to in my life uh, have been you and Dr. J.I. Packer. Uh, I want to thank you for your faithfulness over many years. Thank you for joining us today and uh, wish you all the best in your hardworking retirement. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. 
I'm overwhelmed. The Lord bless you, Carl. You too, Jeff. You too. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. My regards to Gary, and uh, hopefully see you again sometime. Yes, indeed. Yes. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Now, you want the last quarter now? Jeff, we can still hear you. Oh. (laughs) You're still with us. I'm still with you. I can't get rid of you. We planted some software inside your iPad, and we can now listen to everything you ever say. All right. I think he's gone. I'll remove him. All preachers, I mean, we've seen Todd in action. They all speak far too much anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but the difference with Todd and Jeff is I like listening to Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Discover the power of the gospel in the new book, The Heart of the Cross, from PNR Publishing. In 21 brief readings, pastor theologians James Montgomery Boyce and Philip Graham Ryken expound the Bible's teaching about the cross, from Jesus' words during the crucifixion to his words after the resurrection, to the vital teaching on the cross and the rest of the New Testament. The authors meet the troubled, skeptical, and restless in these pages, and with insights both simple and profound, draw each one of us to Christ. This beautiful hardcover gift book is available now wherever Christian books are sold. P&R Publishing, Reformed Theology for Real Life. Visit prpbooks.com to learn more.